There are some conversations in life that just change everything, aren't there? You think of that conversation that you have with a prospective employer and then all of a sudden you're hired and the entire course of your life is changed. Or the conversation you have with the doctor when they give you that diagnosis and then you know life is going to look just a little bit different. Or the conversation you have with that special someone and they spark your interest and catch your eye and you know you want that conversation to continue in the course of your life is changed. There are certain conversations in life that just change, change our trajectory, change where we're headed, that just change things. You know, as we continue our series this morning in Disciples Making Disciples, we've looked at how we can become better disciple makers of Jesus Christ. And so where we kind of started is we've seen that Jesus calls and uses anybody. He didn't just call like religious elite or the powerful people of the day. In fact, he avoided those people and he called just everyday people. Why? Because Jesus wants to use all of us to make disciples. And then as they hang around him and they see the way that Jesus is interacting with people, well, Jesus changes what they care about. He gets them to pray for people, to focus not on fish anymore, but on people. And then Jesus sends them out in groups of two because discipleship is hard work. And if we just go it alone, oftentimes we'll fail, we'll give up. So he sends them out with somebody to encourage them, to brainstorm, to be cheerleader for one another, to do this together. Well, this morning, as we continue in that series, we're going to look at gospel conversation. So how do you start the conversation? How is the conversation to be had? Okay, we're going, we're sent, we get that, but how does the conversation unfold? Because after all, this is the most important conversation we'll ever have with people. Let's go ahead and check it out. It's a conversation that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. It's the longest recorded gospel conversation in all the scriptures. It's found in John chapter Chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. John 4, 1 through 30. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting before beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no such dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is very deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come to draw water again. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will teach us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So John's gospel tells us that Jesus had to go to Samaria, that he just had to go there. Now, he didn't, though, because when you're traveling from Judea up to Galilee, any good self-respecting Jew would make sure to avoid Samaria. There were routes around Samaria because you didn't want to go there. You didn't want to be caught with those kind of people in that kind of place. I mean, the Samaritans, they were... Israelites in the northern kingdom who didn't have to go through the exile of the Assyrians. They were just kind of left behind. And because of that, they intermarried with surrounding cultures. And so they were considered second class half-breeds. They had all kinds of prejudicial statements made against them. And they were seen as compromisers. You didn't want, to, you didn't want anything to do with a Samaritan. You wouldn't have anything to do with them. And so if by chance you really had to go through Samaria, what any good Jew would do after he made it out was take a bath because you wouldn't even want to take the dust of Samaria into Israel. Now, Jesus had to go there though. Why? Because he had to talk to this woman. Because he had to talk to the Samaritan woman. There's a conversation to be had. See, sometimes it's interesting when you want to disciple somebody you're, you're going to have conversations and they're going to be hard. They're going to be difficult. They're going to put you in places where maybe you don't want to go. It's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be costly. There's going to be a sacrifice that has to be made. It's going to cost time. It's, it's going to cost energy. It's going to cost effort. It may cost reputation. People might say some things about you. There's, there's a conversation to be had because we care about people, just like Jesus cares about people. So he had to go to Samaria. He had to talk to this woman, this Samaritan woman, who by the time that Jesus talks with her, she was the type of woman that nobody wanted to associate with. Not even the, not even the Samaritan people 
people wanted to associate with this woman because she had a past. She had a history. Everybody knew that, hey, she'd been with five husbands and now she's got another guy and he's not her husband. I mean, they knew this kind of reputation. And so she's going to the well in the heat of the day to avoid the people. Nobody wants to have a conversation with her, not even Samaritans. But Jesus had to go to have this conversation with her. You know, as she was there going to draw water that day, avoiding the crowds, avoiding the looks, avoiding all the heartbreak and the pain, she was probably telling herself that this guy, oh, he'd be different. This time, things would be different. You know, she was lying to herself, hoping beyond hope that maybe this could be different. But it's not going to be different. It's going to be the same. It's the same pattern she's lived in before. And so Jesus comes. Jesus comes. This woman, she's probably given up ever being looked at with love again, ever being looked at with just joy and excitement again. She's just been an object. She's just been a person to be disgusted by. She's lived this pain for a long time now. And so Jesus is sitting there by this well when she comes. And there wasn't supposed to be anyone else there. She was supposed to be able to go alone in the quiet, in the heat of the day where she wouldn't have to see anybody. But Jesus is sitting there and he initiates the conversation. That He takes the first step. He initiates the conversation and he says, can you give me a drink? And she looks at him and she responds, whoa, 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 what's going on here? I mean, how is it that you, a Jewish man, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Because Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. What is going on here? You know, it's interesting. Jesus is painting this beautiful picture. He's, he's letting us know, he's illustrating this beautiful thing, that both Jews and Samaritans get thirsty. You know, in our culture, it just screams at us to focus on our differences, to look at the differences you have and how you're different from everybody else. And, and hey, your difference, that sets you apart. And you got to respect other people's differences and all that. And we get that, right? But you know what happens? And it's true that God has created us with differences. We're all unique. He, he lovingly cares and has made each and every one of us special, unique, with certain gifts and personalities. And that's beautiful. But when we focus simply on our differences, you know where you, you get left? Lonely. You're just left alone because I press so much into the difference that now there's no one else like me. And so what do we do? Well, we form groups, don't we? Oh, we have a name for this group. We have a name for that group. We have a name for that group. Why? Because we have to have someone. We have to belong. Jesus here, he presses into the humanity. Everyone in the day is going to focus on the differences between Samaritans and Jews and a woman and a man and all the differences there are. And there are those differences. But there's also the similarity that both Jews and Samaritans get thirsty. So Jesus presses in to the humanity. You know, it's amazing to me that having gone, you know, and spent time in the Pacific Northwest and down in the South, the Mid-Atlantic, and traveling over to Africa and Asia, yeah, there's differences. But it's incredible, the similarities, how similar the human experience really is. Because... The joys are the same. The hurts are the same. The struggles are the same. The stories are the same. The needs are 
the same. She was thirsty. He was thirsty. They had this humanity in common. And that's where Jesus starts. He just starts with the similarity. But then he transitions quickly. And he answers her objection. He says, hey, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, well, you'd quickly ask, be asking me for a drink because I could give you living water and you'll never be thirsty again if you only knew. <laughs> you know, what did she know? Well, she knew a lot. She knew that she had come to the water at noon when no one else would be there because she didn't want to have to have the stairs anymore. She didn't want to have to hear the whispers behind her back. She knew enough to avoid all that. She knew her choices. She knew the pain of the poor choices that she had made. And she, she knew the life she was living. She knew all that well, all too well. You know what we know? We know this woman, don't we? We, we? we know this. Have you ever noticed how many times in the scripture that Jesus will meet a man, he'll meet a woman, and he'll have this conversation? This is an incredible conversation. But the man or the woman is rarely given a name. What? They're, they're often left unnamed. A man comes, a woman comes, a child comes, the conversation is had. We even get all this detail, but the one detail we often miss is the name. It happens over and over and over again in the gospel records. Why? Because the Holy Spirit guided the gospel writers to record these stories. For us to read thousands of years later, they're left unnamed so that we will recognize that woman, so that we will recognize that man, that child. And we do, don't we? We recognize these people. You know their names, don't you? You remember that girl, that, that girl that you knew from high school. And you've seen where her life has led. You've read the Facebook posts and you know about the past relationships. And now there's this new one and she's painting a picture of a fairy tale. But you know you can almost set your watch and set a timer for three months from now and it's going to end in heartbreak again because you know the path, you, you know the history, you know the trajectory. You know that man, don't you? You know that guy, that guy at the office and he's sold out everything he has for this dream of success and so he's already blown through one marriage left a family behind and, and hurt and he's making those same mistakes again he's doubling down in fact he's even telling you that hey this is the price you have to pay sometimes if you want to move up the corporate ladder and you know he's trying to act like he has it all together but one puff of adversity in his life is going to come down like a house of cards. You know that guy. You know that woman. You know who they are. And so the question comes, are you going to say anything? I mean, are you going to open your mouth and actually have a conversation with them? Are you just going to sit back and watch? Because the thing is this, if, if a friend came to you, and they were complaining about some issue they were having, their back was hurting, some kind of medical thing going on. You know what you would say, right? It's, you know, I was experiencing the same thing and I went to this doctor and they helped so much. Here, let me give you his number. You gotta go to this doctor, he'll be able to help. I mean, that's what you would do. That's what any good friend would do. You're talking to your neighbor and your neighbor tells you, oh man, I've got a really special anniversary coming up. I'm looking for just a nice place where I could take my wife to celebrate. 
Well, you know what you would do. You would offer, oh, I know the great place. You ought to go here. Oh, it's so nice. She would love it. It'd be so special, so romantic, so wonderful. You would offer up. You would speak. You would say something. So how is it that we could just sit by and watch people who are falling for the lies of the world, who are being captivated by false promises, and they're drowning in the weight of all this sin and not say anything? Because that's what a good friend would do, right? I mean, any good friend would open their mouth and actually have a conversation. But see, all this assumes that we do have something to say, right? That we actually have something to say. It's a deep well, she says, and you don't even have a bucket. Jesus answered her, oh, the water I give is going to well up within you like springs of living water to just keep on flowing. See, I know that we live in a time when biblical faith is being challenged, when it's being attacked from all sides. I know that we live in a time when people say, oh, you just can't express your faith publicly like that. You need to just keep it to yourself. There's some things you just don't talk about It's in polite company. We just got to keep that under wraps. I know there are people out there saying that, hey, faith just simply cannot stand up to reason. Understand this, they are wrong. If ever there's a time to be confident in our Christianity, oh, it's now. I mean, you just look, Christianity is being attacked. It has been crucified. It's been beaten. It's been mocked. It's been marginalized. All kinds of things. Christianity has been brought into every theater of life and been questioned and attacked. And it can't be stopped. Why? Because it wells within us like springs of living water, it does not stop. You cannot stop it. And when you live in that relationship with Jesus, when you live in step with him, on mission with him, then you live a life where this spring of of life flows within you. It's full of hope and full of joy and full of life. And it's coming from him and it flows into you and out of you in such a way that you can't stop it. You can't contain it. It just gets out. But oftentimes we don't live that reality. Why? Because we look at our planner and we see what we've got to do for the week. We say, oh man, i got to do this, 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 and this. i got so many things to do. i got all these boxes to check. Oh, God's word, let me just set that aside. You know, I don't know if I'm going to have time for that this, this week. You know, I'll get to that when I can. I'll make room for it when I can. But when I can never seems to happen. And so we go and we live our lives not in the power of the Spirit, but in our own power, choking out the the life-giving spring that is ought to flow in and through us. And so there's conversations that are left unhead. There's words that are left unsaid. Jesus has this conversation with this woman. He just had to be in Samaria. He just had to have this conversation. He explains who he is. She even expresses belief that the Messiah is coming. Oh, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And he says, I who speak to you am he. Notice that's where the conversation ends. There's this beautiful conversation that's taking place where Jesus is explaining about the Messiah and he's telling her who she is and revealing that he knows all about her. 
And then when he says, I who speak to you am he, that ends it. We have no record of the conversation continuing after that. Jesus doesn't lead her in a prayer. He doesn't ask her, do you believe this? Like, like I need you to say something so that I know that you, you have some faith here. The conversation just stops right there. Why? Because she already believes. Because faith is there. It's real. There's faith. And how do we know there's faith? Because living water is flowing from within her. It's not because she said something or she's prayed something. No, it's because living water is flowing out of her. She runs, leaving her pail behind, her bucket, her water jug. She leaves all that at the well and she runs into the town to the very people who she was trying to avoid. You know, she went there to draw water in the heat of the day. She didn't go in the morning when everyone else went because she didn't want to have those conversations. And now she has to go. She has to go to town. She has to have the conversation. There's a conversation to be had. There's a spring of water that's bursting within her that cannot be stopped, that cannot be contained. Why? Because good news has to get out. There's this good news that she's received and it has to get out. The account of the Samaritan woman. You know, it's one of those stories that we read and we read and we read and we've read it so many times that... It's almost like we've never read it at all. Let me just back up for a moment. You know, we said earlier how oftentimes in the Gospels, we, we read about these people and they're often left unnamed. You got this man, you got this woman, you got this child, and we don't get their name. Why? So that we can recognize them. And we do. But we don't just recognize them from the girl in the high school or the guy from the office. No, we recognize that Samaritan woman, that success-driven man, that tormented man, the bleeding woman, the leprous man. We recognize them in the mirror, don't we? We recognize them in ourselves. We identify with these people. And let me back up just a little more. Said that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He had to go there. Why? Because he had to talk to this woman. Even the disciples can't believe that. I mean, when they come after the conversation is ending, they're, they're looking at Jesus and they're, they're marveling at the fact that he's having this conversation with her. I mean, so much so that they can't even speak it. But in their minds, they're thinking, I mean, what has happened? Well, why does Jesus have to talk to her? Did, 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 did some terrible thing happen? I mean, what could be the tragic circumstance that resulted in Jesus having to talk to the Samaritan woman? See, what they failed to understand is she's the reason. She's the reason he had to go to Samaria because he had to stop and talk with her. This woman who had endured all the whispers, who had seen all the stares, who had been through so much, who is just full of a broken heart, probably thinking, hey, I'm always just going to be looked at as an object with disgust. No one's ever going to look at me with love again. Jesus had to be there for her. See, Jesus didn't just happen into the conversation. He didn't just stumble upon it. No, he was there. He was sitting there. He's waiting by the well, waiting for her to show up because he had to talk to her. He knew everything about her. He demonstrated that. Oh, I, I know your history. I know you've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not, not, not your husband. I know all that. But he came anyway. See, that's the point, isn't it? He knew it all and he came anyway. You look in the mirror 
And you, you see the Samaritan woman. You see the tormented man. You, you see the bleeding woman, the, the leprous man. You, you see those people. You see them in yourself. Yeah, it may be different, you know, the, the sin issue, the struggle might be different. But the pain, the hurt, it's all the same. And Jesus, well, he came anyway. He initiated a conversation with you anyway. When everyone else would look, step back and say, I don't know about that. I mean, why would you go and talk with that person? Why would you interact there? Why would you have this? What tragic event must have happened for this conversation to take place? Jesus is saying, no, I came anyway. I knew it all. I knew every detail about her and I came anyway. I left the comfort of Israel. I'm going to travel through Samaria. It's worth it. I'm going to come anyway. I'm going to love her anyway. And the amazing thing is when he does that for her, for us, well, then it changes us, doesn't it? It's one of those conversations that change everything. And now she's changed because this good news, she can't keep it to herself. All this spring of living water, it's now flowing from within her. And so she's got to go and have conversations, conversations that she was avoiding before. I mean, you notice that she's running back to town. Oh, you got to see this man who knew everything about me and came anyway and loved me anyway. She's inviting all these people to Jesus. <laughs> You know, sometimes we have this illusion that if we're going to tell someone about Jesus and have a gospel conversation with someone, that, well, maybe we need to use this technique or this tactic, and we can get a little manipulative or coercive or even a little fear-mongering in there. You know, that stuff really doesn't work that well. What works is just following the method of Jesus identifying with people's humanity. He was thirsty. She was thirsty. Can I have a drink? Identifying with people's humanity, then learning about their story. Now, we don't have the inside information that Jesus had when he knew all the details. We don't always have all the details, but we learn the details. And as we learn the details, we're able to say, you know, I can identify a lot with what you're going through, with the choices you've made. I may not have made the same ones myself, but I've had my own struggles. And can I tell you about a man who came anyway, who loved me anyway? You have a conversation like that that's authentic, that's genuine, that's real, and it changes everything. After all, these are the most important conversations we'll ever have. Heavenly Father, thank you that you invite us to have conversations with people. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's costly. But God, as we walk past that Samaritan woman, that tormented man, as we, as we see these people, God, stirring us up a heart for people that will go and engage and have the conversation. We need your help to do this. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.